Welcome to Equosity, the podcast about all things equine, with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures, and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. I'm normally joined by Dominique Day, but this week we're sharing a very special recording, one we've been keeping under wraps for quite a while. This past weekend, I would normally have been at Cindy Martin's farm in Arkansas to give our spring clinic, but I don't need to tell most of you that the coronavirus has completely disrupted my clinic plans. I've had to cancel all of my spring clinics. So going to Arkansas this past weekend was not something that I was going to be doing. But we did go virtually. The clinic group got together via Zoom and we had a lovely afternoon together. It's not quite the same as going to an actual clinic, but it was still a good afternoon. Anyway, at Cindy's clinic a couple of years ago, we started a tradition that I really enjoy. The clinics are three days long. We start on Friday evenings with introductions, and then we work for three days, and we finish up on Monday evening. And at Cindy's on Monday night, after the clinic is finished, we always have a couple of people who stay for dinner because their travel plans mean that they aren't going to be leaving until the following morning. So after dinner, I set up my computer, I get out my microphone, and we record a clinic wrap-up. Now, you've already met Cindy Martin, our clinic host, through these podcasts. And joining us were Anita Snee. Anita is a Feldenkrais practitioner. And I have to tell you, it is such a treat having her at these clinics. Anita is not a horse person, but she loves seeing the connection between the work that I do, the emphasis that I put on balance, and the Feldenkrais work that she teaches. And and she's also just incredibly, wonderfully generous. Every day during the clinics, she shares a Feldenkrais session with the group, which just adds enormously to the experience. And I always, always value the insights that she shares as she watches us with the horses and sees the connections between the Feldenkrais work and what we're doing. It's really, it's really just a great treat having her in the clinic group. Also joining us is Karen Quirk. Karen is another regular attendee at these clinics. She brings her charmer of a pony, Puffin, Puffin has, over the years, he's just been enormous fun to watch. Karen rescued him from just a terrible situation that left him with a lot of triggers for bolting and for aggressing towards people. But you would never guess that now. People who come to the clinics for the first time and watch Puffin, what they see is an elegant little dressage horse who loves loves to play clicker games. Karen has done just a superb job with him. Rounding out our group at this clinic was Mary Hunter. And that's why 
I wanted to hold on to this recording. I thought it would be a great way to introduce you to Mary. At the time that we made this recording, Dominique and I were working with Mary to create our new Listen and Learn audio course. We had no idea at that time that it was going to take us over a year to complete. In just the last week, we released the course. I mean, we are absolutely delighted to be able to announce that we have this Listen and Learn audio course that's an introduction to behavioral analysis, which means rather than put this podcast out a year ago, I've kept it tucked away, waiting, waiting for the announcement of the audio course. So let me give you a brief introduction to Mary, and then we'll jump right into our clinic wrap-up. Many of you will know Mary already through her blog, stalecheerios.com. I've been reading her blog for years, I think probably since almost the beginning of when, it, when she started producing them. And I really, I, I love her blog. I always look forward to it. Mary is such a good writer. She's very clear. She's very easy to read. And she always makes these really interesting connections between the animals she's working with, the training that she's doing, whether it's with horses or with dogs or with her pet rats. She always makes these really interesting connections between the training and the behavior concepts that support that training. Mary has a master's degree in applied behavioral analysis from the University of North Texas, where she now teaches undergraduate courses in behavioral analysis. She's the president of the Art and Science of Animal Training organization, and she organizes the annual conference of that same name. She and Dr. Jesus Rosales Ruiz recently published the portal manual together, and they have a great website, behaviorexplorer.com. So when Dominique and I began to talk about doing an audio course on behavioral analysis, Mary was the obvious and perfect choice. She's been a delight to work with, and we look forward to many more collaborations. Mary has also been a regular attendee at the Arkansas clinics that Cindy Martin hosts. And at this particular spring clinic, she had decided to stay over on Monday night and drive home the following day. So we were able to include her in our post-clinic wrap-up. So this is what you're going to hear. After a quick introduction, Cindy Martin is going to get us started with an appreciation of Mary's contribution to the weekend. And then we're going to dive into a discussion of loopy training and movement cycles. So the next person you'll hear contributing is going to be Mary. So when you hear her voice come in, you'll know who's talking. Now remember, this conversation was taking place after three days of teaching. All of us sitting around the table knew what we were talking about, but you may not. You're coming into the middle of the conversation, and I don't want you to feel lost. So before we begin, let me give you a 
quick explanation of movement cycles, since that's what we're going to be talking about. The movement cycle is the actual performance of a behavior. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end, which brings you back to the beginning again, hence the word cycle. So the expression I learned from Dr. Jesus Rizal-Jerwiz is a movement cycle is not complete until you're in position to do the behavior again. In other words, you can sit in a chair, that certainly is a behavior, but you don't have a cycle yet. So the cycle is not complete until you stand up so that you're in position to sit again. If you're thinking about training, here's an example. If you're working on teaching a dog to sit, once he's sitting, you're going to need to get him up again so you can ask him to sit. So you might toss a treat or do something else that would get him to stand up to reset out of the sit so you can ask for the behavior again. Which brings us to loopy training. So loopy training grows out of movement cycles. The idea is that you can have a very effective teaching strategy if you work with these recurring cycles. We've talked a lot about loopy training throughout these podcasts. If you're brand new to the concept, I'll refer you to these earlier discussions and hopefully this brief reminder of what a movement cycle is will be enough for, for you to follow our discussions for now. Again, I'm just inserting this here so you won't be wondering what on earth we're talking about when we jump into a discussion of movement cycles and loopy training. So enjoy this week's podcast. And by the way, if you're interested in learning more about the new Listen and Learn audio course, or you want to register for the course, just go to our website, equosity.com. We have all the information there. So this is 429.19, Monday night, the end of three glorious days of clinic. And so our, our tradition is being continued of after the clinic, we have this lovely gathering of people who are staying overnight, who haven't left yet. So we have Karen and Anita. And Mary, you are a new addition to our evening, and Cindy. So, yeah, lots and lots and lots of wows. So who wants to get us started? Having Mary here to provide valuable transition between the ap- academic and applied world yes, is worth its weight in gold. And Mary, you do such a phenomenal job of translating into language that, you know, we common people can understand and explaining things, finding wonderful analogies and examples that helped the people who have been fascinated by this for a long time and the people who are new to it. It it was a fabulous contribution and that distinction between training loops and movement cycles where they differ and where they coincide was incredibly enlightening, very helpful. Yeah, that we're not having to leave movement cycles behind, that they are a core key element of the loopy training, that we need to identify what is the movement cycle 
that we are training? And then what is the loop that we <coughs> develop around that movement cycle? That distinction was an important one to make. But the interesting thing, I think, which I saw clearly this weekend, is once you're thinking about the concept of the movement cycle, you see it everywhere. So like the Feldenkrais work we were doing last night, you know, where you were saying, lift your arm just enough so a piece of paper could go underneath it. That's the beginning of the movement cycle of lifting your arm high. All throughout the horsework, you know, where does the movement start? Where does it begin? But we were, because it was hot on my mind, we were even seeing it in the portal work. You know? Absolutely. So I think that was a really cool example this morning, which some of you all missed. But So I taught Cheryl how to take the little blue clip and hop it three times across the table. And we started out with the frog going over jumps and then switched out the frog for a couple other objects until we got the clip. And then we also um, switched out the jumps for tiny little buttons and then finally got rid of the buttons so that the clip was just jumping. But afterwards, I don't remember, it was either Cheryl or Carrie said, well, what would you have done if you had wanted, if, if you had wanted just like a small jump and the learner had been doing a giant jump with the frog? Because sometimes those little plastic frogs, you give them to people and people do giant jumps with them because they're exciting, they're little plastic frogs. So what would you have done if you had wanted a little jump instead of giant jumps? So we started looking at the objects and we came up with a few different suggestions, but one would be like I could have two blocks and have the learner put one block on top of another, which most people if you give them a block and have them put it on top of another one and then you can insert something in the middle there, they do they they actually pick up the block and move it in a different way than they would move the frog to jump the frog. So it's a it's for someone who was walking by, it would look exactly the same. They're just moving an object from one spot to another. But if you actually look at the way they're moving it, this speed they're moving it, maybe the speed at the beginning versus the speed at the end, it's two different movements. So in the case of this portal example, it didn't matter. But if that was something you were teaching to your course, it may make a big difference whether you get the initial movement out of the frog or out of the two blocks. So, right. so where the movement comes from initially and how you shape it initially is something you have to be thinking about depending on how you're going to use the behavior later on. So would you like to make the distinction for us of the clarification of how loopy training and the movement cycles fit so well together and that we're not leaving the movement cycles behind us as we shift our thinking into loops? At this hour of the night, can you do that? I can try. Okay. So, so the movement cycle is the physical movements that the animal or humans going through as they're doing the behavior. So that's different from the loop because we're just looking at the movement and the motion. So you're, you're standing up, you sit in a chair, and you stand up again gives you the, full, the movement cycle. So for the full movement cycle, you'd be looking at 
where does the behavior begin? How does it all happen? Keep happening, keep happening, keep happening until it gets back to the point where the person or the animal could begin again. We were looking at the example in the rope handling, that learning how to slide down a rope, where there's that initial movement cycle of the first slide down, and then you reverse it so that you're back at the beginning point. So can you slide down and unwind that to get back to the beginning point, and then you can expand that out so you slide down, ready to take another bite of the lead rope so you can slide down, slide down again, get off, get off, and you can do a whole series of that. So we keep expanding out the movement cycle, the behavior, but that's different from the teaching loop. And can I give another movement cycle example? Yeah. Another one that I just thought of is getting on the trailer and off the trailer. So we often think of the behavior as just getting on the trailer, the trailer. but yeah. as you, as Alex says, the the hard part for a lot of horses is getting off, and your typical horse owner doesn't even train that. We're train we're spending all of our time on that first half of the movement cycle, but the whole movement cycle is get on, get off. Right. So you're in position, or it might be put one foot on the ramp and, and step take, back off. Yeah. Put one foot on the ramp, step back off. And again, that is different from, that's different from the teaching loop. So really, loopy training is a teaching strategy, and the movement cycle is the actual performance of the behavior. So in the loopy training, we are including all the places where in that movement cycle, you might be putting in cues and the click and the treat, then you'd be expanding it out to include that moment of grown-ups where we're pausing before we move into action. And so there's a the teaching, so it's the loopy training, the teaching cycle, and the movement cycle is the behavior. And is that a distinction that we should, that needs to be made? Is that useful to us? And, and am I saying it? Is that, is that a good way to say it? I think so. The loop or the training loop would be, also includes the consequences as well. Right. And, the, and the reinforcer and the reinforcer delivery. So I think it's helpful to have that concept because you can have just the movement cycle, but then when you start looking at the loop, depending on where you put the reinforcement um, is going to change the loop and change the behavior that you're getting. Right. And you can, and then there's, there's subtle differences. So you could have, you could have what would be a clean loop, but it may not be the right loop for where you need to be going later on. So in that sense, just because you have a clean loop doesn't mean you have the clean loop that you need. Right, so you don't have the right movement cycle. So you're building some components for more complex behavior. You're building components for more complex behavior, but the components you're building are the wrong movement cycle. It's clean, it's just not gonna get you where you wanna go. No. Can you think of an example? Yeah, the hind leg lifts, where, where someone is 
is teaching leg flexions. And so they're teaching that really jack the leg up to the belly. And what they want is a piaf, but the piaf is a different, it's a different, it's a release forward of the ankle, the mobilization. So it's a completely different movement that you would be uh, looking for, for that. So the topography is different. <laughs> Even though it's a leg lift, the topography of, of how the leg is going to be lifted is very different. So an, another example, I had this service dog in training who was staying with me for a while. And I didn't know him very well. He seemed hesitant to get into my car. But he had put his front paws up on the back seat. So that was a good thing to reinforce. So he'd put his front paws up. I'd give him a treat, give him a couple treats. He, you know, then we'd back out. He'd come again, put his front paws up, give him a few treats. And we had a queen loop, but we weren't able to go anywhere past that. And it was because the way he was built and the way my car was built, he couldn't figure out how to get his back feet up around the corner onto the floorboard. It just wasn't going to happen wasn't going to happen from that starting point. From that starting point. So so at, at that point, I had what I would say was a clean loop. He would come up. He'd put his front feet on the back seat. I could feed him treats. He'd come back. But, but we couldn't go forward. So how I solved the problem was I took a bag of rat bedding. It's about the size of a bag of shavings. And I put it right in front of the door and led him up to it, encouraged him a little bit, and he jumped right in. So it wasn't that he was afraid. It was he didn't know how to physically get himself in the car. And by having just a little bit of a step, he looked at it, looked at it, and within about 10 seconds jumped in. I did that, I think, two more times, got rid of the shaving, shavings bag, and then he knew how to get into the car. But that starting point I had at the beginning was a clean loop. It just was not the clean loop that I, that I needed. And was it his idea to put the paws on the seat? Yes. Yeah. So... Yeah, okay. so, so I just had him a day or two, so I led him up to the car and saw what he would do if he would get in the car or not, and he offered that. So that was something he was willing to do. It just, from that position, he did not know how to arrange his body to climb in the back of my little Ford, you know, 70-pound lab or whatnot. But with a step, he could easily arrange himself. But But the problem is that the beginning of the movement cycle of jumping, you cannot access that if your front paws are on the back seat. So I was, I was reinforcing what to a lot of people would look like a logical approximation, but it was the wrong movement. Or when your front feet are on the seat, then it's a totally different movement than if, if you're really gonna jump up, you're jumping from your two feet on the ground and you're launching your whole body forward so oh that makes perfect sense yeah so you were uh reinforcing the wrong movement cycle for your end long-term goal mm -hmm. yep i get it so 
since you since you ha you had the mic, Karen. Oh. What were some of the so? Uh, what were some of the ahas for you? Because there was the portal, there was the Feldenkrais, Christ, there was your magnificent puffin. So what pop was popping out for the weekend? So uh, a big aha for me was uh, the work that Anita was doing with the Feldenkrais, where we we had to pause between a movement and really relax before we reinitiated the movement. And these are tiny movements that are in almost internal and not visual externally. And the the thought process that you could go through to try different ways to say lift a leg, and initially you might just lift your calf, and then you would be reminded it's supposed to be the whole leg, so you would pause and think, okay, what do I need to change to lift my thigh? And then it's, no, it's supposed to be the whole leg. Okay, so what do I need to change within my body to lift my hip? that lifts my thigh, that lifts my knee, that lifts my calf, that lifts the foot. And pausing between the movements, thinking what I needed to just slightly change in myself to achieve the objective, so resonated with what I want to allow my horse to think about, particularly in this clinic I'm working on Haunches in with Alex, and and what does my horse need to do to move his haunches in? And there are many different ways to move your haunches in. You can swing it over fast, you can shift the weight, you can be deliberate. And, and so to give my pony the opportunity to explore within himself the right answer, to give him the pauses between the requests and allow him to figure out different ways. And his, his answers to us were different almost every time. Right. And I just found that extraordinarily mind-blowing. Again, another... So, in, the, in the first part of this afternoon's ride, when you were just working on the circle, you were so good about putting in the pauses. You know, after you clicked, you didn't just go off again. You, it was, there were very deliberate pauses. So what did you experience as you did that? What, were you, what was going on? So initially, I'm a do-do-doer. Let's achieve the objective, and I don't take the time to stop and think about what I can do different. So this time, being mindful of that, I just was stopping myself. I was taking a breath. I was thinking internally what I want it to look like, and then I would ask, and then I... Again, just waited like one or two pauses to, to, to not just go to the next step because that's the next step. But like you said, I would that instantly grab the outside rein because that's step two. Right. Instead, I was thinking about, oh, how did step one feel? And if that felt good, then go into step two instead of step one, step two. Right. So that was a big change for me this weekend, I would think. Yeah, it definitely was because in the past when you're working with the single rein riding, when you would get to the point where I would say, well, now if, if you get a really good moment, you can go on to the outside rein. And it's like, as soon as that permission was given, then it was always in the past, good, I'm going on to the outside rein. And without, without first checking to see whether it was a good moment to go on the outside rein. And today it was completely, completely different. So one of the questions I would have is, well, so what? 
did it did you experience a difference in terms of the the connection and the ride that you and Puffin were having so were you reinforced for doing that by what you got from Puffin will this be something that will be continued because of the reinforcement that you gain from oh that felt good Yes, and I will hope I will do that, but I still have my old habit of falling into... But in terms of what you rode today, Yes. what did you experience when you did that? Was it good, bad, or neutral? No, no, it was definitely a a softer, more mindful connection, if that makes sense. Yes. Okay, so that's what I felt, And, and it wasn't just a mechanical step one step two it was more connected into the the next progression and I can only hope (laughs) that I will I'll carry that forward more consistently because I still um, struggle with right old old habits pull us but um that was certainly really pretty to watch today and and I and that's I love to hear that feedback because um, you know I, I want that connection with right. him so right. and I don't want to think it's all in my head that it's still the same old thing and it I am just pretending it looks better so if you see it um, then that means a lot to me. From here we wandered off into other topics that were more specific to that particular clinic experience. So I'll leave you here. The question, do you have the right movement cycle for the behavior you want to form is well worth pondering. If you've encountered a roadblock in your training, could this be the explanation? It's definitely something to be thinking about. So it's questions like this that we explore in the new Listen and Learn audio course. Again, if you want to learn more or you want to register for the course, go to equosity.com. We know for many of you, budgets are tight right now because of the coronavirus. So we are offering a discount of 50% off the regular course price. The offer is good through May 31st, 2020. Next week, we'll share another post-clinic wrap-up. If I can't get to my clinics this spring, at least I can revisit some of our clinic gatherings through these podcasts. So thank you for listening and stay well. Stay